0: Arizona Sports goes local. It's Arizona Sports Saturday, ninety-eight seven FM, Arizona's sports station.
1: Hey, thanks for checking out Arizona Sports Saturday. Steve Zensmeister, Mitch Varela, this with you. It is a college football Saturday, but those games are boring because they are literally all boring. No, they right are now. all my god, forty-eight nothing Georgia over South Carolina right now. So what we're going to do instead is we're going to get you prepped for Week Two in the NFL season a different blowout the Arizona Cardinals have an interesting opponent in the Las Vegas Raiders we're going to talk about them in just a second but we're going to bring in our Cardinals insider from ArizonaSports.com he is Tyler Drake Ty
2: what's up man how are you what is going on, guys? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? Doing okay,
1: as good as you can do after a loss like the one in Week One that I attended, uh, sitting next to all Ooh. of the Chiefs fans. Apparently, I don't. I must have been in the wrong section. <laughs> um, you spent the week talking with players, getting some reaction to Week One and some preview of Week Two. Can you can you walk us through the reaction that some of the players had to that game against the Chiefs?
2: Yeah, definitely. So, uh, basically it was just, uh, I think everybody hit the uh, same point at one point or another and, and it was just miscommunication. That's really what killed the, killed the Cardinals. And, and, you know, obviously I think we saw a little bit from what the Chiefs did in week two that there was definitely a window for them to, you know, to have a little, uh, momentum there on defense that didn't really, we didn't really see that at all. But, uh, yeah, I think the biggest thing is, is just the miscommunication and, uh, trying to figure that out in practice, which I mean, Obviously, you want to have that sense of urgency. It's week one; you would you would expect that already to be there. So that was a a little uh, interesting, but yeah, it sounds like it was a good week. It sounds like everybody was focused. Everybody was intentional for, intentional from what head coach uh, Cliff Kingsbury said. So we'll have to see if the uh, if all the talk translates into a much better showing in week two. Because there's nothing you can really hang your hat, hat on on week one.
0: Who's the guy on the defense that you're expecting to have the biggest bounce back performance, and why?
2: Uh, it's got to be, I, I think, just the amount of, you know, everything that's on his plate. i got to say Isaiah Simmons. Once again, I'm going to be a broken record, I think, for this whole season with Isaiah Simmons. And I think it's just he's really got to show that he can do everything this team needs him to do and, and is asking him to do because it's just you throw all that on his plate, throw the green dot, throw the, throw the, you know, take that next step as just a – sound player be the star backer I mean that's a lot on his plate and he's really got to show that he could take that over and and really take a step forward after week one he talked about how you know that wasn't his best showing and he's got a, he's going to have another tough test with Darren Waller so it's really going to be a, a, a big for me that's that's going to be the guy I'm watching probably all day just to see how he rebounds after week one.
1: Yeah, like you mentioned, another tough tight end matchup after week one's matchup with Travis Kelsey, you know, getting burned quite a bit. I-, I felt like I saw Simmons come into the slot a lot. And then I felt like as an observer who was at the game, I felt like I saw Buddha Baker come down and play into the slot a little bit as well. Did you feel that the Cardinals were trying to overcompensate for the lack of corner depth?
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that's, that's, uh, with Trayvon Mullen not playing especially and, and who knows with week two. I mean, it could be some of the same thing. And, and, you know, another thing that we've really got to watch is Jalen Thompson's uh, questionable status. So, you know, if he can't go, that's just going to put so much more pressure on Buddha to not only be that, you know, that last line of defense, but also have to come up and, and, you know, help out the cornerback room, which I, it, it looks like it's going to be about as thin as it was in week one.
0: It's interesting too. Steve Kime came on the Burns and Gambo show yesterday and said that he's felt a lot more confident in the quarterbacks room, cornerbacks room, excuse me, now at least than he did at the start of the season. But at the same time, we're now talking about a potential missed game for Jalen Thompson. Like, is there an expectation that Trayvon Mullen is just going to solve all the Cardinals defensive back problems if he can even play?
2: I mean, it's not, I I think at the end of the day, it's not, you've got to have, it's got to be more than a Mullen. I, I think if Jalen's healthy and Buddha's healthy, that's, that's locked. I would say personally, I think they're the best safety tandem in the league. But beyond that, I mean, that cornerback room is still thin. I mean, when you've got to elevate a guy, we'll see, we'll see here soon if, if they elevate a cornerback or a wide receiver, depending on what's going on there. But I mean, if they have to elevate Chase Whitaker again, I mean, that's just, that that shows you right there. Just how thin this cornerback room is. So you know obviously i think antonio hamilton's progressing uh, i think marco wilson's taking a you know step after a lot of uh, after you know a lot of attention was his way on just you know needing to step up but at the end of the day i think they they really have to figure out they got. They just got to get another body. I think that's that. That's kind of where I'm going with it.
0: Yeah. No kidding. Tyler Drake. He's our Arizona Cardinals lead writer at ArizonaSports.com. Joining us here on the Arizona Sports line. You mentioned briefly there are wide receivers, and that was probably the biggest position that got hit this week. Not only Rondell Moore out, but now Andy Isabella as well. And especially for a guy like Isabella, who Steve and I honestly expected to have that true breakout game, and he didn't. What, what, is it going to be, what is it going to take from Kyler Murray to be able to keep the offense rolling with now a severely weakened uh, wide receiver room?
2: I think it's going to be a lot of tight end work. I think it's going to be a, you know a healthy Zach Ertz is really, really good for this team. I think getting Max Williams involved and they've got to have Trey McBride active. I think that would be huge for this game just to have another pair of hands. I know Cliff said he wasn't necessarily ready, he needs to keep coming, but at the end of the day there's I mean, you've got to be able to have some pass catchers out there. And, you know, I think Greg Dortch is going to be great in that Rondell Moore role again. I think I think we can all agree just from training camp to now it's just he's he looks like he's really comfortable in that role. So I think they're good there. But yeah, it's about getting the Tight ends involved a lot more and it's about getting AJ Green involved. I think if they can really do that, it'll open up Marquise Brown. And the rest of that offense. Last week,
1: we talked a lot on the show and probably even with you about how I thought Andy Isabella was going to get that opportunity that he wanted to really play with the absence of some other players. Mitch was going around telling everyone in the newsroom to take the over on Andy Isabella. Take the over. And it's not that he played poorly. It's just that he didn't even really get the opportunity. Greg
2: Dortch did.
1: Were you surprised by that?
2: Uh, personally, no, I think Greg Dortch has deserved it, uh, as much as Andy and press and preseason. I think Greg Dortch's uh, his trajectory has just, he is, like I said, he just deserves it. I think, uh, he's done everything right. Uh, you know, he's even getting out in the community. I went to, uh, elementary school this last week where he was giving back to the kids. So that was cool to see. So he's just really embracing that Cardinals role, that just being a Cardinal in this, in this, uh, city and. And I just think it's a numbers game, like wide receiver, uh, coach Sean Jefferson said with Andy Isabella, it's just a numbers game and, and, and it's really not falling his way. And this back injury certain does certainly doesn't help, especially from, you know, we all saw that fire, fiery interview with, uh, I think it was on the sideline where he said that, you know, they turned his, everybody turned his back on him and everything else like that. So mm. I would just say it's, it's something we're definitely gonna have to watch, but it seems like it's Greg Dortch until he falls out of, uh, in, until he can't do it.
0: The name JJ Watt appeared on the injury report again. This time he actually got a few reps, but he's once again questionable. And last week he was questionable and downgraded to out on the day of. What is your expectation for Watt? Do you think based off what he's told you and based off what he's seen he's going to be good to go?
2: I think he will. I think he will. I don't know if he's going to be a full 100% but I think he's at the point where he can go and he can play. Uh you know, he did in the in the open portion that we could report on and we saw, you know, he did look like he was getting some good work in, so Uh, it'll have to just, but who knows in this league, it could all be gamesmanship. So we'll, uh, yeah, we'll just have to see in the morning if we get that uh, report that comes out. But either way, I I would say I would put money on him playing.
0: And then quick follow-up to that. A name got thrown around this week on Burns and Gambo, and that name was Emmett Smith. And quite frankly, it's not because of his years with the Cowboys. It's with the uh, not-so-noticeable years with the Cardinals. And then you start to wonder, is J.J. going to just become another Emmett Smith? So basically I'm asking you, what does he need to do to avoid becoming the next Emmett Smith of the Cardinals?
2: I mean, I think for him it's just staying healthy. I think at the end of the day it's really just staying healthy. That's the biggest thing is if he can if he can play more than seven games, I know that's that's a very low number, but I mean, you can put double-digit games up this year. That's going to go a long way with this. With I think just with everybody in this town, and and I think if he can play ten games, ten or more games, he's going to be able to pro- produce with that line. So, uh, yeah, for me, I'd say just staying healthy.
1: Last question for Tyler Drake, our Cardinals insider at ArizonaSports.com. Ty, my number one thing that I'm watching this week: Chandler Jones revenge game. He is now on the Raiders. <laughs> what are the offensive linemen? for the Cardinals saying in regards to facing their former teammate?
2: You know, there hasn't been a lot of talk. There has not been a lot of talk. I'll, I'll be honest. You know, one of the guys I wanted to talk to this week was DJ Humphries, and we uh, we were not able to talk to him because that's going to be, I mean, really his biggest competition for most of the game. So uh, it'll be... And and you know I I took it as you know they just didn't want to give them any more bulletin board material. So I think I think everybody's kind of locked in. I think the pleasantries, you know, the jokes have gone back and forth with a couple of guys. But I think at the end of the day, it's everyone's got a job. And and uh, on Sunday it's, until it's uh, after the game, it's one versus one.
1: <laughs> you know, they may not have said it out loud to you, Ty, but I'm guessing that they're talking about it with each other in the uh, in the boardroom. Oh, they have to. They're talking oh, you, about you. Chandler oh, they Jones. have to. Oh, yeah. All right, Ty, thanks so much for the insight, man. We'll talk to you next week. Yeah, definitely. Hey, you
2: guys didn't even ask about the zoo, man. Are you out of the zoo right now? I just got done. It was Are you just, kidding Our anniversary me? is tomorrow. Okay, our anniversary okay, is tomorrow, that's, so that's, we're having some fun. That's here's, fair. That, here's that's my fair.
1: honest question. Is the zoo really that entertaining if you go all the time?
2: Yeah, it is, man. It's really? It's always a good time. Wow. Don't you just see <laughs> hey, the same hey, stuff and over and over? You- yeah, it's fun, man. You never know what they're gonna do. I told you I'd give you a fact too. Uh some uh modern tigers. Smallest uh, tigers out of all the uh all the tigers. Wow. Really? Okay.
0: Boom. I learned something new today. All right, next week I need something on the uh mundi okay?
2: Wow, wow, what good name that? drop.
0: Well they have them at the zoo, right? What is that?
2: It, they do. They it's they like do. a
0: long nosed, um I don't know, Tyler's gonna tell us next week. Okay, yeah. Thanks <laughs> yeah, very so much, up. Ty. Enjoy the rest of this, <laughs> enjoy rest you of your day. Tyler Drake, our Arizona sport, ArizonaSports. dot com. The running Cardinals joke, lead writer,
1: is that he he calls in from the zoo every week. Literally, he takes his his daughter to the zoo like every weekend, every. and he calls into our show from the zoo every, which week. is fantastic. We should get an animal on the show.
0: <laughs> we should get a cardinal on the show. <laughs> Coming up next, Suns owner Robert Server has been suspended for a full year. Is it enough? That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. 287 7 fm Arizona's Sports Station. Arizona Sports, Saturday
2: absolutely i we are absolutely calling for that we do not want him to be in a position where he is managing or engaging with individuals who are engaging with our players or our players themselves we are absolutely clear from the findings that are in that report that we do not want him to be in that position
0: that was the voice of tamika tremeglio she is the executive director Of the NBA's Player Association or technically the National Basketball Players Association when she was on with ESPN's NBA Today yesterday. Mitch Feraldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Trevor Henry behind the glass. So she's essentially representing not just herself, but the entire players union in response to the punishment that was handed down to Robert Sarver earlier this week. In case you missed it, one year suspension, $10 million fine. And he's also required to take a training course that has to do with uh, workplace conduct, uh, to put it uh, bluntly.
1: Well, and he can't be around the Suns. He can't be around the Mercury for right. the next year. Right. Uh, that Adam Silver, interestingly enough, said that they could have suspended him longer. Yeah. I. But the $10 million is the maximum penalty in the NBA.
0: So can we talk about Silver's role in this for a second? Sure. A lot of the commentary following his presser on Wednesday was that he did exactly what every single other commissioner would do in this exact situation, which is to say they were basically the lawyer. They didn't share a strong opinion, not fully anyway, and they just kind of stood there and they took bullets for the other 29 owners of the league that he is employed by. It was... It was a real opportunity for Adam Silver to kind of stand the same ground that he did when he banned Donald Sterling for life. And he didn't, quite frankly. And I know a lot of people are upset about that. A lot of people have a differing opinion on that as well. But it was probably the first time that we really saw Adam Silver exposed as just kind of another commissioner that we all love to hate.
1: Quite yeah, frankly, I I, I want to start by saying this. The punishment for Robert Sarver was not enough for me personally. Everybody's going to have a different opinion on it. But my personal opinion is, while I understand 10 million is the maximum penalty they can hand down in the NBA, it's a drop in the bucket for a, a super rich person like this. Agreed. Um, it's not nothing, but it's the max in that sense. It's the maximum penalty for money. Uh, the year long suspension kind of feels like a slap on the wrist to me. Basically, when you're that rich anyway, it's basically just hey, take the year off. Take a vacation. Pretty much. And while I understand he's not going to be in the building, and that and that stings, I'm sure, for him, it is a punishment. It is not the punishment that I think is adequate enough. With that said, I listened to the Adam Silver press conference, and I felt like he wanted to say some things that he could not. And what I mean by that is, while he came out and said he was, I think he said, shocked by the findings in the report— um, He didn't go as far as to say that for him personally, he felt that Robert Sarver should have been relieved of his duties as owner of the Phoenix Suns. And he acknowledged, I can't really do that, that there are different rights you have when you're an NBA owner as opposed to a boss deciding to fire an employee for misbehaving. Here's that cut, I believe. There's no neat answer here. Owning property, the rights that come with owning an NBA team, what it would take to remove that team you know, from his control is
0: a very involved process, and it's different than holding a job. It just is when, when, when you actually um, own A team. It's it's just a very different proposition. So it's interesting because then shortly after that, there was the release by, uh, I don't remember his exact title, but Mike Bass, who's, uh, I guess the best way I can describe it without being degrading towards Mike Bass is that he's essentially Adam Silver's press secretary. Like what the press secretary is for the president, he's that for Adam Silver. And because that comment got a lot of play after it was mentioned, and Mike Bass had to come out with a statement afterwards and basically say, "When we said that that owners and players and others are held to a different standard than one another, that's not true. They totally are." And it's, it's a little bit and of it's stuff Like that It's like, why couldn't you have just said that in the
1: first place?" I realized that a lot of the reaction to that comment was negative. And I know that it stings to hear. And I thought the same thing to myself. I was like, well, if we're holding each other accountable in the workplace, how come the boss isn't being held accountable? Exactly. I understand a lot of people feel that way. I feel that way, too. And I'm not trying to defend Adam Silver here too much. But essentially where he was coming from was he's like, listen, I can't just with a stroke of the brush, take away the Phoenix Suns from Adam Silver because he does have ownership from rights. Robert Sarver or sorry. What did I say? Silver. Sorry. Yeah. Same from idea. Robert Sarver. I knew what you meant. Yeah. So I, I understand what he's saying. He's right. Ownership is just different because a lot of people are like, if I did those things as an employee you better bet I would be fired. Oh, You're gone. Even if I'm it's- a boss and I do those things, I would be fired because I also – even the boss has a boss, right? But here's the thing. Robert Sarver doesn't really have a boss because even the NBA commissioner is not his boss. The commissioner works for the NBA owners. So you know who Robert Sarver's boss is then? Other owners. The other 29 owners. Exactly. So there's three ways. That Robert Sarver could conce- – I'll go, I'll go through this really quickly. There's three ways he could conceivably be forced to sell the team, and none of them are likely. Okay. One of them involves the public pressure. The sponsors, if more sponsors than just PayPal come out and say, we're leaving, that's public pressure. Fans not going to games, that would be public pressure, but it's not going to happen. Players, more players like Chris Paul coming out and saying, we're not going to play for Robert Sarver. That would be public pressure. It's not likely, but it's in a way. The second way is minority owners with the Suns could say, hey, he breached the contract with us. Mm -hmm. We're not making as much money anymore. This isn't in the best financial interest of the business. We need to force him out. And then, way number three is like you said for the other NBA owners. Only takes one to call a charge against Robert Sarver and call a vote, and then it takes seventy-five percent of them to actually vote him out. So it takes—that seems unlikely. To it me. takes one of
0: twenty-nine to say something, and then it takes twenty-five out of thirty to, to actually
1: get rid of him to commit to it. And I don't think that's going to happen. It's a Adam hill. Silver, it, it's, it sucks to hear it, but he's right. When you're an owner of property and a business, you just have other rights. I just feel like this scenario is a little bit different. Yeah. Like
0: maybe maybe Robert Sarver does need to be held to the same standard as his employees. Oh, he definitely needs to be held
1: accountable in the workplace. There's no doubt about that. It just that. feels like in this scenario, he's not. And if that, you can't treat your employees and particularly people of color and women correctly, then you shouldn't be a boss.
0: Things are about to be turned up to 11 for the NFC West. Why is that? We'll tell you next on Arizona Sports Saturday seven FM, Arizona's Sports Station. It's Arizona Sports Saturday.
1: It is Arizona Sports Saturday on a college football... Saturday. Thanks for joining us. I'm Steve Zinsmeister. Mitch Verrell is with you as well. College football games right now are all blowouts. So Thank goodness those games are over. <laughs> we won't even have to update you. Last week was fun, man. We had that Texas-Alabama oh game. First two weeks of the year were fun. And uh, this week, not so much. Everything's a blowout. At least so far. Where Hopefully- can I watch Appalachian State? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Hopefully some better games to come this afternoon. Hopefully. You know, we were thinking, we're going to learn a lot about the NFC West over the next couple of weeks. Yes. So this conversation that you and I had was sparked by the fact that tomorrow afternoon at 1 o'clock on Fox, you're going to have the Seahawks and the 49ers, a division game. I don't know how I feel, by the way, about division games in the first week of the season. Second week, I'm like, eh, okay. Um, So far, there's been a division week.
0: Or a division game every week.
1: Yeah. And quite a few of them, too. I don't know how I feel about that. I do like in college football how, like, you at least get the non conference stuff out of the way first. Or if you're Alabama, you play Old Dominion in week 13, right. 13 for 14, right. 14, whatever it is. Um, but next, I mean, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to learn a lot about the NFC West. And what I mean by that is it's always been viewed as one of the tougher divisions because the Seahawks were so good for that 10 or so year stretch. The 49ers went to the Super Bowl, and then later on, they had a lot of success. They went to the NFC Championship game last year against the Rams, who also went to the Super Bowl. And they have consistently one of the best teams. The Cardinals, at one point, were undefeated in the middle of last season and one of the best teams in football. Right? It's widely considered a great division. The problem is, after week one, the Cardinals got shellacked. Uh, The Seahawks, I don't think anybody believes in the Seahawks, even though they did beat the Broncos and Russell Wilson in week one. Uh The 49ers are 0-1. The Rams got kicked in the face in week one in a game that was tough against the Bills. In the the face, the chest, the (laughs) all areas.
0: areas.
1: (laughs) It was bad. It just feels to me like the NFC West really took one in week one. And now, all of a sudden, we're going to learn a lot over the next couple of weeks. The Cardinals have a division game coming up next week. Oh, my gosh. There's a lot of questions that are going to have answers very, very soon. I just don't know the answers to them. Well, so, here's what we do know.
0: We do know that if, for some, if for whatever reason, the Seahawks can beat the 49ers on the road, the Seahawks will be above everybody in the division at 2-0. Right. Who, who saw that coming during this offseason? Uh, not me, and... I'm going to speak for you and say no. No. But this is a really important game for the Cardinals standpoint. The Cardinals probably have the toughest opponent this week, but they don't have the most impactful opponent this week. The Rams are playing the Falcons at home. You think they're going to be a little motivated after they got shellacked by the bills? Yeah, probably. And the Falcons are not necessarily a tough opponent. No disrespect. No disrespect. I wouldn't yeah, I wouldn't classify them as tough. But this this Seahawks 49ers game could essentially decide and impact where the Cardinals end up in the standings at the end of the year. And the reason for that is since we because, excuse me, we all expected Seattle to be in last place in this division. If they get off to a, a fairly decent start and include a divisional win within that good start, that's going to make a difference when tiebreakers matter at the end of the year when Things get a little screwy with the the schedule and you have to resort things because of divisional record and uh, record against common opponents and stuff like that. Like the Niners winning this game gives them a tremendous advantage over the Cardinals because they'll get that divisional win. They'll bounce back after a miserable weather loss to the Bears. And they'll set themselves up for all the experts to say, see, this was the Niners team we were expecting to see. This is the Niners team with Trey Lance that they were hoping to get. This is the Niners team that will probably go back to the playoffs again this year if they win this game. Granted, it's a lot of overreactions, but divisional games this early, as you mentioned, they make a big impact for
1: later on in the year. Yeah, and in particular, you hear, I heard Dave Pash mention this on the broadcast this past Sunday that you know what they say about being 2 and 0 versus 0 and 2 and how it dramatically swings the percentage chance that you're going to make the playoffs. The 2 and 0 teams, I don't know the exact number, but when you're 2 and 0, you have a significantly higher chance of making the playoffs than 0 and 2, even though it's only been 2 weeks. I mean, that's it's a fraction, a small fraction of the games you're going to play. Your season is not written in the first 2 weeks, but the numbers bear out 2 and 0 lot better odds of making the playoffs. The Cardinals are sitting at 0-1, and and they're facing a tough Raiders team. I'm not going to say they're great, but they're a tough Raiders team, and they made a lot of good additions in the offseason, including former Cardinal Chandler Jones on defense to an already electric pass rush situation in in Vegas, and then you add Devontae Adams, who, shocking, he's good at football too. What? So, and, and you talk about that Rams game in week three against the Cardinals, where that's here in Glendale, but the Cardinals don't play well at home. And the Rams are really good football team. I, again, shocker. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Rams are good at football. So if you go down 0-2 against the Raiders, now you're going into week three at home where you don't play well against a good team that's the Super Bowl defending champs. And they're they're playing motivated because they lost in week one in a ugly game on and Thursday hell, night football. What if
0: they lose this game against the Falcons? Man, they're going to be licking their chops,
1: looking at an 0-2 Cardinals team. I think if they if the Rams lose against the Falcons, it depends on how that game goes. Context does matter, but people are going to start asking the question, are the Rams overrated? That's true. And I'm not willing to go there yet. No. I, I certainly still believe in the Rams, even more than I believe in the Cardinals, and I don't think that should shock anybody because they just won the Super Bowl.
0: Right. And We're going to give them an easier pass than we would a team that... Got into the postseason, got shellacked in their only playoff game, then had a tumultuous offseason from left to right, up, down, sideways, what ways, whatever you want to look at it, and then got
1: absolutely obliterated at home again by a team that is significantly better than them. So I guess what I'm trying to get at here is that I'm more worried about the Rams in week three for the Cardinals than I am against the Raiders this Sunday. Agreed. And with that said, we just talked about starting the year 0-2 and how difficult it is to make the playoffs. You start the year 0-3, and the, s- the schedule does lighten up a little bit for the Cardinals after that, but if you start 0-3, you're playing from behind in the NFC West. A tough division.
0: That's just it. It's like we've had this conversation even before the year started. We were always looking at the six games without Hopkins, right? Without DeAndre Hopkins because of his suspension. You lost to the Chiefs already. You got the Raiders this weekend on the road. You got the Rams at home. You got the Panthers on the road. You have the Seahawks. Which, if you lose that, (laughs) nice knowing you. And then you've got the Eagles, who a lot of people are now picking to win the NFC East. If you come out of that gauntlet 0-6, you might as well kiss the season goodbye. Especially if this team is going to continue its trends of
1: sucking down the stretch of the season. Something else that I noticed, too. We talked about how the Seahawks came out a lot stronger against the Broncos in Week 1 than I thought they would. Obvious narrative there was Russell Wilson returning to Seattle. Seattle booed him mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't play bad. He played okay. But the Broncos lose that game, right? Looking at Seattle's schedule right now, they're a surprising 1-0 and team because we all thought they would lose to the Broncos and Russell Wilson. They're 1-0. and They win by 1 in that game, but give them credit. After this 49ers game, the Seahawks' schedule is pretty light. They get the Falcons in week 3. They get the Lions in week 4. They get the Saints in week 5. They get the Cardinals who at that point might already have 3 4 losses. That's also
0: what happens when you're the 4th place team the year prior though. Right. You get the easier schedule the next year.
1: You get the Giants uh at one point in the first third of the schedule. It's a pretty light schedule early for the Seahawks. It's a weird like it's a weird like political analogy but Like on election night where you look at who's polling polling well early in the night and it's totally different from who's polling well later in the night because just demographics and things. And it looks to me like the Seahawks have an opportunity, a window opening at the beginning of the season where they can really impress. And I mean, so far, they're already off on the right foot, right? Absolutely. 17 points against the Broncos in the first half 17 is not an impressive number in the first half it's relatively good yeah, the tried. second half was not good no their second half was bad i'm not saying the seahawks are a good football team and i don't necessarily believe in geno smith yet either no although he looked like an nfl caliber quarterback last week which was more which than he, i expected which
0: he has been
1: yeah let's be honest yeah if you know. get drafted by the jets you're already set up for failure well he was on the jet was he on the giants at some point too yeah he didn't get an opportunity with the giants not really
0: But they also drafted Daniel Jones, and they had Eli Manning, so they had reasons. All I'm saying
1: is, over the next two or three weeks, we're going to really learn what the NFC West looks like. Yep. And I don't want to, I know we all assumed what it looked like at the beginning of the season. Super Bowl champs, number one, NFC West team, uh, NFC West uh, championship game team in San Francisco, Cardinals are three, Seahawks are a distant four. But after week one, it looks like that could be totally scrambled by the end of the season. The
0: youth movement has been in full effect for the Arizona Diamondbacks this second half of the season. How is it going to shape their team for next year? That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports goes local. It's Arizona Sports Saturday, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Mitch Verreldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Trevor Henry. Behind the glass for us, Auction Community Studios, where we will be for another
1: 45 minutes, actually. Listen, so we, t- the, we talked with the boss. <laughs> the injury report comes down every day at 110 ish for the Arizona Cardinals. And we got tired of being off the air at 110 when news happens. So, so yeah. we're like, why don't we just stick around for a few extra minutes? So, to clarify an extra th- factor with that, because
0: we are still in daylight savings time, Arizona does not observe it, but we right. are in line with the other teams that are on the west coast and in the pacific time zone. So this is only going to be until you know, everybody else decides to go back to the other time that they were on. Until the world catches up with us. Because when when that when daylight savings time goes backwards or goes off or I don't even know what the correct phrasing is, They won't release the injury report or the final transactions until close to two. Here's
1: the gist. And then we'll have to fight with the boss to make this a four-hour show. Here's the gist. (laughs) We are getting the injury report. The last one that we're going to get before the Cardinals game tomorrow is going to be around a little after one o'clock. Yes. And we're going to be here to bring it to you. Yes. We promise you. So stay
0: with us because we'll have the news. We'll have the final transactions before the weekend. And, yeah, it's going to be a good time. You know what else is going to be a good time? I'm going to the Dynamax game tonight. Oh, okay. I'm going to try and go early. They're giving out these um, these uh, Serpientes, uh, like replica jerseys. Those should be but it's, cool. it's inverse. So instead of the main color being like that sandy color, it's a base black jersey. And then the Serpientes, instead of written in black, is written in the sand color. It's actually pretty cool. Mm. Got to go early, though, to get one of those. Um, Zach Gallen against Joe Musgrove tonight.
1: That's a good matchup. That's really good. That's a good. really good matchup. Right? A friend of mine said he was going to the game last night, and he was like, Bumgarner's on the mound. And I was like, ugh. I was like, I'm so sorry. Now, I mean, I know we're going to get into it a little bit more about Bumgarner and starting rotation and all those things, but just eh, right now, if you go to the ballpark and you get Zach Gallen or Merrill Kelly, you're really excited because those are great pitchers. Yeah. And if you get one of these young guys that's coming up, and there's been a plethora of young talent that's made starts in the last couple of weeks, Tommy Henry, uh, who's been roughed up a little bit, got sent back down to AAA. Ryan Nelson, Nelson pitched tomorrow. Seven scoreless innings in his first appearance. And then if that didn't sound familiar, Dre Jamison just did the same thing against the Padres as well. Yeah. So some really great starts from young talent coming up from the minor leagues recently.
0: And I think this bodes well for two reasons. One, you're, you're basically showing the league what your core is now, as opposed to kind of surprising everybody next year. Granted, surprises are nice when you're trying to get off to a hot start. But man, the way this team has played down the stretch, and it's particularly been spearheaded by these young guys, it bodes incredibly well for next year. They might even be ahead of schedule as far as making the postseason which is yeah it is unheard of at the
1: start of this year that's a possibility i i think that this season rewind to the end of last season this time a year ago there was a tough decision to be made because the diamondbacks were having historically their worst season ever as a yes. franchise yes And there was a tough decision to be made about Torrey Lovello and his contract. Do you bring him back? He's the longest tenured manager in the franchise's history now. He's got the most wins, all these things, right? He was coach of the year in in 2017, uh, manager of the year, I should say. There was this tough decision because you didn't think Torrey was necessarily the issue with last year's team. It was more that they didn't really have a lot of major league talent on the roster. They made the decision to bring him back for this season. And at the time I said this on our show, I believed that they were no longer judging Tory based on wins and losses, but this season would be judged on how they implemented young talent from the minor leagues. Yes, and so far, you have to say they've done a good job of that. Is it all Tory? No, it's not all Tory, but well, he he decides the lineup. Well, card. so they're going
0: to find out
1: because they picked up the option. They didn't go right.
0: full commit and say, you know what, we like you so much, we want you to be the guy that leads all of these young players. The Blue Jays tried that with Charlie Montoyo. He's not their manager anymore. True. That only took a year and a half. So the Diamondbacks are most certainly taking the safer approach. And I mean, look, if we all expect this team to finish above 500 or
1: maybe even close to 90 plus wins next year, you keep Tory around. Yeah. And you look at the influx of youth, right? You've had the outfield alone has five guys. Corbin Carroll. Uh, top prospect in baseball. All of them are under 29 years old. Uh, Jake McCarthy, who goes under value, or overlooked, I would say, by a lot of people. He's been incredible. Dalton Varsho, obviously, has been around for about two years now, um, and he's been really good. Alec Thomas, one of the slickest center fielding uh, defensive center fielders in the entire league. Stone Garrett's played pretty well, and he's the only right-handed hitter out of those guys I just mentioned. Uh Um, you still got a young Josh Rojas. You've still got a Geraldo Perdomo, who's trying to figure it out offensively, but has filled in really well defensively. You've got, in the starting rotation, Dre Jameson, Ryan Nelson, Tommy Henry. Tyler Gilbert made starts last season in this. Uh, Corbin Martin is still around. There's a lot of youth that's been injected into this club in the last six months and I think that they've Tory in particular and the, and the coaching staff has done it very very well of implementing them but there's still some veterans doing really good things Merrill Kelly K- Christian Walker has maybe been the been the off best offensive you, player on the team you got to keep him you have to tell Marte's having a down year there's no way around that but, but he's still dynamic enough and we know what he's is when he's healthy and, and right now he's just not healthy and yeah and they're building around him it's clear so This team is really something to be excited about right now. Here's the one question that we've been trying to figure out the answer to. I want to use the analogy
0: real quick. Oh, okay, go ahead. The reason you get injections that make you feel more youthful or that make you look more youthful. Like Botox. Is to get rid of the age. Oh, yeah. And right now, the age that's killing them. Ian Kennedy, Mark Melanson, Madison Bumgarner. Frankly, he hasn't played all year, but
1: Nick Ahmed is kind of in this conversation now, too. Let's focus in on Madison Bumgarner. Okay. Because we've had three young starting pitchers make debuts in the last couple of weeks. Yes. Is there a spot for Madison Bumgarner come next season? No. He's going to make $23 million. No. He's got $14 million the year after that. And no. then $15 million deferred. No. All that money, and he doesn't have a spot on this team? Well, he does, but
0: he's not going to like what... I have to tell him personally, if I ever get to meet the man who did so many great things for one franchise and for this franchise hasn't really done a lick. You tell him to, you tell him that he's a bullpen
1: arm now. Look, you're gonna pay a world three time World okay, Series champion, all right, all right. Twenty three million dollars to here, be in the bullpen. Here's what I want to stop.
0: He was a World Series champion in twenty fourteen. Was the last time he was World Series champion. Correct. The last time that he had an all-star season. I'm looking this up on the fly, so give me a moment. But he has not been an all-star with a member of the Diamondbacks, obviously. And the last time that he even had a good enough season to be considered an all-star feels like forever ago. The last time that he was on a playoff team was 2016. So the last time that he's been able to try and show the Madison Bumgarner that we all kind of expected him to be was even three years before he became a member of the Diamondbacks. He's, I'm not going to say done. I'll rephrase it. He has a chance to rebuild his image in this city. But it's going to take a very hard conversation for him to accept it. He needs to go to the bullpen.
1: You just don't see it very often. You don't see guys who used to be legendary become bullpen arms. It doesn't happen a lot. It happens occasionally. You don't see a lot. Like the Diamondbacks, the best example of a starter that became a reliever was Archie Bradley. That was much different. He was a, a stud, top pitching prospect in baseball. And then he gets hit in the face. He loses his confidence. He ends up moving to the bullpen eventually.
0: Okay, how about this? Can he be the next Kerry Wood? Kerry mm-hmm. Wood was a top of the line starter when he was a member of the Cubs and then eventually his career just kind of, you know, I think what he made Kerry Wood it,
1: and he became a closer. I think what made Kerry Wood so great was he was a fireballer. He was going to blow a fastball by you. And he and you mentioned this earlier, pitchers who have high velocity can do that with more frequency when they're in the bullpen because they don't have to worry about throwing 90 pitches. Or 100 pitches. Well, maybe this You is just what throw gets, like 15 to 20 pitches. Maybe
0: this is what gets it out of him. Maybe being told, hey, you're going to go to the bullpen, but when you come in,
1: you can throw as hard as you please. I don't think that, that, that that's changes much. Maybe what gets much. it out of him. I don't think he has much more in the tank than what he's out there throwing every day. Do you think he's really going to go from a, I don't know, I'm just making this up, but I think he's throwing like a 91 mile an hour fastball. Do you think it, that goes up to 96, 97? No, he's not in the bullpen? that high. But it'll go to like 94. Zach Gallen doesn't throw harder than
0: 94. Right. Can you get to that level? Can you do it consistently? Can you create movement with your off-speed pitches so that the hitter gets really confused?
1: I don't know. I think it's I a good still question. It, I still think in the end, he's got to look bullpen. It's a good question. It's just I, $23 million next season. I mean, like I would love for them to find a trade partner, even if it's somebody like the Giants that just okay. brings them in for novelty reasons. How
0: about this? Because you keep bringing up money. Which expensive bullpen arm would you rather have? Bumgarner or Mark Melanson?
1: Which would I rather have in the bullpen? I'd rather have Melanson.
2: Bumgarner or Kennedy?
1: I would rather have Kennedy.
0: Okay. Much cheaper. Okay. Paid a lot of money for all three of those, and they're not paying dividends at all.